Hey moms, welcome to the Gather Moms podcast. My name is Kate. And I'm Rebecca. We've created this space just for you because we're both moms and we get you. Yes, we believe there truly ain't no hood like the motherhood and we need to be in this together. We also believe we can't mom well without Jesus. So you're going to hear us talk about him too. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gather Moms and make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. All right, mamas, let's jump Hey moms, welcome to episode 81. We are so excited because today we have a special guest who's going to join us in our series on help. Yes, her name is Jessie Wilden and she has written a book called We Wrote Your Name in Color and she is here today to talk to us about help in grief. She has known it deeply and she has seen God do beautiful things in her story and we can't wait for you to hear what she has to say. Let's jump into the interview with Jessie Wilden. We have a special guest with us. Her name is Jessie Wilden. Did I say that right? You did. Yeah. (laughs) I should have practiced before we started. That probably would have been good. Um, We are so thankful to have Jessie. Jessie, you and I connected um, on Instagram through a mutual friend. She had been, were you at Bob Goff's retreat with her? Is that how y'all met? Yes, I was. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then how do you know Bob Goff? Because I think I saw maybe uh, something in your book from him. Yeah, he gave me an endorsement for my book, but more than that, he's really been, um, instrumental in helping me write it. He does some writing coaching. And so I did, um, a Facebook course with about 200 other people. And then, um, they, him and an amazing novelist named Kimberly Stewart, started doing personal coaching. So I got to be part of their personal coaching for five months. And then they opened up an, what they call the Oaks retreat, which is just like for writers to come and refresh and get inspired. And that's where I met our mutual friend, Amanda. And so kind of, yeah, I've been on the journey with him and become uh, better friends with him, but he's just been such an advocate for me (laughs) in writing this book and then getting it out into the world. So really special. We love our door openers. We have door openers that have made ways for us and we're so thankful too. So I love that term. Yeah. (laughs) Door openers. Yeah. It's like dream. I always think of dream builders, but I'm like, it is sometimes just someone opening a door for you. That's beautiful. So Amanda, um, told me a little bit about your story and I said, yes, of course we need to have her on the podcast. So we are so glad you're here. We can't wait to talk about your book and hear more about your story, but just start us off. Will you tell us a little bit about your life, what momming looks like for you, where you live, your job, your kids, stuff like that. Sure. Um, I live at the tippy top of California. Um, it's very mountainous here. It's Mount Shasta, California, and it's a very little teeny rural town of like 3,500. Um, wow. we measure towns when they're that small and stop lights. And this one has three and it's <laughs> only had three for like the last 10 years. <laughs> um, and so I grew up here and I met my husband here And then um, now we are raising our kids here. And so we are a blended family. Um, I have um, three birth kids and two adopted kids. And that really like sets the stage for my book and the story in it of how um, we went from having two kids to five kids. So I live here with five kids, my husband, a bird and a dog. And um, life is busy and happy and bustling as you can imagine, (laughs) but their ages are, we have, um, a 21 year old who actually is at college. And then we have three teenagers, 16, 15, and 15. 
and then we have a four-year-old. So we have like the gamut. Um, I had a kid in each decade Wow! <laughs> just to, you know, spread it out. Yeah. <laughs> so I was a teenage mom and I was a geriatric mom. Isn't that funny? <laughs> so I'm like, I can talk to any stage mom and then I'm adopted mom and a birth. I have a, I'm a birth mom. So bring what's it that, on. <laughs> what's that word, you know, when you go back for that last kid and you've like hit that new echelon of pregnancy where you're yeah, like they call high it geriatric pregnancy, but it's not just geriatric. It it's like, like high, high risk. high risk, high risk. Yeah. They, they start using that risk. word. Yes. And it like freaks or, you out. Oh, or elderly pregnancy. You're like, no. I am 35. Thank you very much. <laughs> but I have to say it gives you a lot of perks. You get more uh, ultrasounds and fun things. And if you are healthy, it's actually kind of fun, but it is really hilarious. I, I realize, um, so my adoptive kids are weaved in, but my middle child is, uh, was my middle birth child. And I didn't realize that was like the golden years. Like, do you guys, you know, there's like a golden age where everyone's like so happy that you're having a kid. I, my firstborn was when I was very young. And so I got a lot of grief about being like a teenage pregnancy. And yeah. then my, the other one, it's like, now you're a geriatric pregnancy. And I'm like, man, I didn't even bask in the 24 year old, 25 year old. Yes. Pregnancy. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? No, so we have no idea how good we have it at that age. And, you know, I mean, it's all relative. Or no, no idea how good Absolutely. our body has it. Right. We're both over 40 now. <laughs> and let me tell you, it's yeah. just one thing after another. Absolutely. So. Anyway, so we have, yeah, we have a big range in our family. And when we stand in line at the taco truck, people like show up and they're like, oh my gosh, it's busy today. And they leave. Um, <laughs> we're <laughs> like, oh, it's just us. I'm yeah. sorry. Um, so we laugh about that. But actually, yeah, we have a really happy household with, and the siblings are very tight. And uh, my husband and I have been married for 22 years now. So it's a Amazing. good, it's a good life here in the mountains. That's awesome. That's <laughs> oh, wonderful. and my work, I guess I didn't say that yeah. I am. Um, a writer and I just, I get to be with my kids. So I have a little office right here and that I um, kind of tuck away in and the kids are really supportive of my writing. They help with dinners and they, well, the older ones, you know, and they help with the little one. And, um, and then, yeah, so that's kind of like my life is between writing and doing this book and then them and our community here. Wonderful. That sounds amazing. So your family dynamic changed drastically when tragedy struck, and we would love for you just to give us a peek into that story and how, kind of what you've already said, how your blended family came to be. Yeah. So, um, I, I had two daughters at the time. I had, um, a 16 year old and a 10 year old at the time. And I had always really wanted a big family. It was actually a dream I had really tucked away and prayed for, and I had a longing for it, but, um, I had had some really, really difficult, uh, labor and deliveries. And so it became very scary to have more kids and that really weighed on us. And so I remember really wrestling with God about having a big family and that longing and yet, you know, trying to do the wise thing. Um, and so we decided after like 10 years of praying that we were going to build our dream house. And so we moved, we sold our house, moved in the back of a garage, um, where, which was my husband's parents' garage. And my two daughters lived in the main house. And during that time we started building, um, I found out I was pregnant. Like it felt like the worst timing in the world. I have a 10 year old, a 16 year old. I had tucked that dream away. I'd 
just decided that was a no. And here I am building a house and still building my family and living in a 300 square foot little like, <laughs> nook. <laughs> and, um, and right next to your in-laws, like, I guess I hope oh. you got along. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Whatever the kids are in the main house, not the planning. (laughs) Score, go ask grandma. She's in there, get her. Yeah, that is true. Uh, That is true. I had a lot of support there, um, but it was such close quarters. And I, you know, morning sickness is just such a bummer. And that was hitting hard. And um, and so like within there, I was just already like, okay, we have so much on our plate. Um, But we had no idea how our life would really flip. Um, about two months after finding out we were pregnant, um, my our best friend, who is also my husband's littlest sister and her husband, had a suicide homicide event mm-hmm. and um, left behind their two children, who were my niece and nephew, who we lived in the same town with um, and grew, you know, they grew up with us. And we had promised when they were born to um, care for them if anything had happened. So immediately we knew in in our minds and hearts that like that was something we had promised, but we really, it was such an unknown of like, will the kids want to live with us? Will the rest of the family accept this? And it became, you know, and that was something that was very heavy on my heart, but basically they did, they adopted us very quickly. And um, we all squished into that house and that little garage And I remember just really wrestling with God's timing because I'm like, you know, these just felt like the worst timing, but what, what I thought was the worst timing turned out to be just the most beautiful timing because when we built our house, um, we had some of our community help add on another room and bathroom and this office. And we had, we all moved in as a family, like with wow. all of our stuff and okay. we all painted our rooms. Like a, no one was moving into anybody else's mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, I didn't realize it, but I'm like, we, as we were building a family, we built this house t- to build it in, you know? And, um, and then after we moved in, we had my youngest and she just was the glue. She has never known life without all of them as her siblings. And the beauty within like that weaving has really reframed, you know, like the things God puts in our hearts and then how our lives unfold. And I just have to tell you, it's breathtaking. Our life is so, so good now. Um, and it has been as of this month or as of October, it'll be five years. And so to think that life could shatter like that and then be so breathtakingly beautiful, is just one of the things that I just had to write in this book of how that happened. So we went from two kids to five kids in six months. How old were the the two kids that you adopted? 10 and 11 at the time. Okay. So they just came right in with the 16 and your 10 year old. Yeah, they did. They did. We call um, the three in the middle, the middles. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Because they're all squished together, but yeah. And uh, I think that was so um, kind of God too, to like weave their ages. And, you know, um, we get a lot of funny looks because we have different last names and they're all weaved in. They're like, Oh, this has got to be a story. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but well, I was thinking really about how you said, you know, cause I, I've had conversations with friends and just when you think about like, especially like before we go on a big trip, we check our will, you know, and it's like, okay, if something happens to us, who is going to get these kiddos, but never thinking that anything like that would ever happen, you know? Um, but then it, there comes Absolutely. a day where 
okay, we made this promise at whatever time, and now here we go. And I'm sure for you, all the questions of exactly what you said of like, but do the kids want this? Will the rest of the family want this? You know, and what's that going to look like? Um, Not to mention you're dealing with your own grief, you know, that you're dealing with the loss of what you said was your best friend um, and your brother-in-law. And then surely this came out of nowhere, um, was unexpected. You're pregnant, you have morning sickness. And tell me a little bit about what it was like for you during that time. Well, I mean, there's, there's so many pieces to that question. It's such a good question. (laughs) I think at first, um, you just have to sit with it. You know, um, I think I really wanted to take notes of what was helpful in grief and be able to share that like in this opportunity, but the truth is words just fail. They feel like they fail because they just do. And in that first phase, there's just not a lot besides sitting with someone Mm -hmm. and not peppering them with questions, not needing to make sense of it, but just being with someone, um, and looking for needs to fill. If you're like in their closer circle, I think, um, otherwise you just need to wait. But for me, I really found, um, a couple things helpful for me personally. I think reading Psalms and praying each line was breath. And then, um, have you ever burnt yourself on the oven? And it's just like, you put it under cold water. You think it feels better. You, you start going on with life and you're like, it still hurts. Yeah. And I think prayer became that cold water to me. Wow. Like I would just spend, and it wasn't that I was such a, you know, holy person. <laughs> I, um, I just prayed a lot of broken prayers. And when I didn't have words, I would use Psalms. Um, but really when I look back, I, the, children grieve. Well, at least the children in my life grieve in a really beautiful and unique way. I have found that adults feel a lot of pressure, whether that be to be in a certain phase of their grief, you know, maybe you're, and people kind of judge each other, or we feel judged at least like you're too sad. Oh, maybe you're not, you're in shock. You're not taking this seriously enough. Maybe you're moving on too quick. Maybe you should be moving on. Maybe you should be cleaning up. I mean, and there's a lot of like grades being given out about how you're grieving. And so I think as adults, we feel that we want to be genuine and we want to be honest. And so if we're sad, it's like, we are sad. But what I watched in my children is that they could just be on the floor, um, us both weeping, you know, stroking their hair, thinking like, in my mind, I'm like, the day is shot. This is, this is my day. This is where I live, you know? And 20 minutes later, they'd be up towel snapping each other <laughs> and laughing, like belly laughing and us all just laughing. And I watched the rhythm of grief and like the space they made for each other, the space they made for me that if suddenly this was a sad moment, if something triggered or something was remembered, um, everybody made space for that. And I just thought how beautiful that was that we don't have to like stay in this posture of grief nor and, and pretend that we're never happy. Or um, the other way around, like this could be a happy thing, but it's okay if we all just take it down a notch and are quiet now, you know? And so I think their ability, I really tried to fall in line with that rhythm that they taught me. And I thought, I hope we all learn from that and can give each other space. And so they always let me have space that way. And my husband was such a, I never felt pressure from him to be anything that I wasn't. And I thought, boy, what a gift is that in grief? And so I think we surrounded each other, but within that there was a lot of joy 
there were a lot of really like happy moments or talking about um, one of the things that we've always just made a lot of space for is talking about stories and memories and funny things. So I think at first people would come over for dinner and they'd feel like, oh, we don't want to mention anybody's name that could trigger something, or they would like almost choke on their food if they'd say, oh, I'm dying here. And they'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh. You know, and it, but what happened yes, was, yeah. is they realized we were just like, we allowed the pain in including memories, including, and I think that really allowed us not to get stuck. And so, um, I, I would try to be really transparent with them when I was having a hard day and they would just make space for me. And I think that created a culture of healing in our lives, but we were talking about it a lot and we were, um, bringing it up a lot. So I think, um, we processed a lot in that time too. That's beautiful. I love what you said about someone just to sit with you that didn't have to make sense of it. Because I do think sometimes we're just constantly trying to make sense of everything. Like everything should have an answer. And in this season for you guys, I don't know that there was an answer. Like it shouldn't have happened, but it did. And now you were thrown it's into this so new storm. Yeah. I have found since I've tried to kind of like analyze that because I noticed that we get asked a lot of questions when something happens. Like someone will get breast cancer and they'll be like, is this running your family or mm -hmm. did you not eat enough kale mm -hmm. or you get a divorce and they're like, Oh, was it, you know, like your mother-in-law or was it that you guys were working too much? I mean, and I think what we want to do subconsciously is like separate ourselves. We want to go, okay, since that's not in my life, I'm safe. So we want to feel safe. Yeah. And I thought to be with someone in the discomfort of grief and the unknown is incredibly vulnerable and brave work. And I think you're right just to sit with someone and go, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what to say. And I have no idea why this even happened or if that's, this could happen to me. And just sitting in that is so loving and powerful, but it does feel kind of helpless at the moment. Um, but I think you're right. Well, and for you to welcome that, you know, for you to welcome someone into your life that doesn't have the answer because I, I think sometimes like as a friend trying to help someone go through grief, you just want to do the right thing. Like, I just want to do the right thing, say the right thing, be the right thing when you might not even know what the right thing is in that moment. So tell us what are some things that you found were like really helpful or really not helpful? Mm, I think just like on the, on the thread that we're talking about of sitting with people, I think it's kind of this idea in my mind of taking off your muddy shoes and leaving them at the door in someone's story. Um, and just really trying to put on their shoes, like trying to move into their space and be like, what is this like for you? And really, I think what I have learned is that empathy is such a powerful tool because we can't judge someone that we feel for or feel with because that's what empathy means, right? To feel with. And so whenever I am scared, I want to not feel with them. I want to like separate from them. And I think like empathy, just putting ourselves like in a space of empathy, like I'm going to feel this with you. I'm going to learn what this feels like for you. is such a humble, helpful place to come from. And so even though you may not have any words, um, I found the most comfort from people said, I have no words mm -hmm. and would just choke up because I thought if you could figure this out in 15 minutes, I, I feel that it's belittling to the grief. And so it was very honoring to me when someone would be like, there's nothing. Um, I think as time, you know, as you get out of that first like shock and survival, um, looking for practical ways to help. I had a tribe come around me helping like with 
rides to school um, and with, you know, bringing dinners and things like that. And I, I think those were just such helpful ways, but they have to just be so gentle because if someone comes in and just starts cleaning your entire house and disrupting, you know, everything, it, it doesn't feel good. And that one's a tricky one. I think it takes prayer and asking some really gentle questions um, and just kind of being willing to roll up your sleeves and look around if they, so I try to listen to people while I'm trying to be an empathy. I try to be like, oh, you need milk. Gotcha. Like I can do that. I cannot heal any of this, but I could go get milk. And so I, I think listening really leads to what to do. Um, and to know that it's not helpless when you don't have the words or, or anything to do. Was it ever hard for you to accept the help? Was that ever a struggle or were you just at such a place that you had to accept it? Mm, That's a good question. I do think like we all have tiers of friendships, ones that were really like have seen our worst days or I hope everyone has that, you know, and uh, it really doesn't matter what you look like. And then there's kind of the next tier where you're like, you know, you're trying to perform a little bit. And so I think if you know those tiers in your life, um, you can kind of think, oh, this inner circle, I really can allow them to do this or my kids feel safe with them. I found that a lot of people really wanted to do things fun for the kids. And I think it was coming from such a good place, but they wanted to keep pulling them away from our home. And I just felt like this is not a time to go bring them to a movie where we don't know what triggers will be in a movie because of the trauma, you know? And so I said no a lot. And I would just encourage any mom who has kids with trauma or maybe is blending a family or just, you know, your own kid, um, I think that was hard for people. Um, so sure. Yeah. But I do think, I think you're right that, uh, that it is like each kid and each mom has to kind of figure those things out. So I think when people said things that were, I felt were in the a realm that could help me. Yes. I was able to accept them because it was just too much at the time they had all been homeschooled and they were each a different grade. And I was really wrestling with like, how do I, now like reinvent this whole wheel. And, um, you know, there were teacher meetings and financial meetings and, you know, there's a lot of things after someone dies of cleaning out their space. And there was just too much. It was too much for me. And I was really, really glad to know my job was the children. My husband worked on the house a lot to finish it for us. Okay. And mine was like, this is, and so I think like sometimes trusting God is knowing what he has you doing. And you have to let go of the rest. You have to like so good. know that you're not the whole and you don't do everything. But if you can focus on like, what is mine? And I knew that being a, becoming a mom to some of those kids and being a mom to those kids was my, my job. I thought if there's nothing else, this is what I do. And my pregnancy really helped me because I, I think I wouldn't have taken care of myself as well. Okay. But because I was pregnant, I couldn't drink. I couldn't just not eat, you know, and I think um, that became a, even though it was frustration at the time, I think it was a really big blessing that I was constantly caring for another child as well and caring for myself. That's beautiful. Hey, have you ever heard the concept of the rings of grief? Yes, I have, but go ahead. Do you feel like that's a helpful concept to help understand kind of some of the concepts that you're talking about? Well, go ahead, go ahead and explain it to me how you've heard, because there's a couple different variations. So something that was helpful to me in understanding, um, I I feel like the center, the person in the center of the ring of grief is the person who's 
primarily impacted by whatever has just happened. And then there's these expanding rings of next layers, kind of what you're talking about, of, of how close they are to that person, because then they're also going to experience levels of grief. And so we, as we come alongside and help people, we just want to pour into the next layer. So it's not my job, mm-hmm. if I'm in the fourth ring of that person, it's not my job to jump over into the center ring. My job is to pour into the people in the third ring, because they're hurting too. And it's the people in the third ring to pour into the second and the people in the second, et cetera, right? And over and over. Um, because because all of those people need widening rings of support. I think we all, when something bad happens, you know, we may just like know them on Facebook or something. And then all of a sudden you're trying to like send them a meal and they're like, whoa, okay, I haven't heard mm-hmm. from this person. Well, that's because you're in like the 10th ring, dude. You know, you you can send yeah. a Facebook message or something or, or you can kind of connect with other classmates who have also lost someone, right? You need to stay in your ring. And I think the other way that this works is it's always these outside rings pouring in. Um, Sometimes I think people in grief expect someone from an inner ring to be like pouring back into them, right? They're grieving and you're, Mm -hmm. you're, you're also grieving, but the person closer to the grief in the more intimate relationship with whoever has just been lost is saying, Oh, I'm having such a hard time. And you know, your feelings are valid hundred percent deal with those, but share those a ring out, not a ring in. Absolutely. That was so beautifully explained. <laughs> like there's the podcast right there. <laughs> beautifully done. I think if we all have that perspective, ever everything would be so much richer and better um, for all grieving because that really is like an idea of community caring for each other and everybody having somebody What is surprising to me as I wrote this book, people have written me and said that my mother-in-law cared for them. Mm. And that has like endlessly. And so she had people who she said, like maybe third tier, you know, like uh, or third ring calling her in the middle of the night and she would comfort them. And so I think to have that view but then sometimes to be surprised of the strength God gives or the love that pours out, you know, um, I have seen, you know, my kids minister to others and things like that. But I think, right. I think that expectation is very unhealthy, but I, I am surprised sometimes at how someone can have so much strength to do that. And sometimes they just, they pour out. Um, but I think you're right. I think the problems and where it becomes unhealthy is because we're all pinging off of each other with this. I think when someone dies, we have all this energy zinging in us. You know, it's like, where does that love go? How, what do we do? Wow. And right. we want to do something. And I think a lot of times that can start becoming a very harmful energy because yeah. now we're just talking about it or now we're just making more problems. Yeah. And I think when you have that philosophy, like caring for someone else, it's like doing good with that energy. Yeah. I think that's where you find uh, healing. I yeah. think that's where healing really comes from. And I, I think that's so yeah. wise to say. I love what you're saying because it does seem like at a certain point, then the rings shift their flow and there becomes a point where that person in the center then to move into healing, then they start pouring back out, right? What's been poured yeah. into them. And that's part of that's part of how they grow. We just never want to you know, make it about us. I guess that was the point of the whole exactly. thing is I don't want to make your grief about me. 
You know, your grief yeah. is about you and I need to just sit with you in it and be present with you. Um, I make it about me when I'm trying to fix it, when I'm trying to come up with a five point plan, yes. right? When I'm trying yes. to get to the bottom of why this happened and how to make you feel better immediately, I, that's making it about me, right? And I want to just sit in it with you and, and it be about you and what you need. Well, and I think for moms, we just so often, we just want to do something because it's like the world has taught us if you just do something, then yay, you can like check it off your list and be like, I love someone. But sometimes what you're saying is that's completely unhelpful because you haven't listened. You haven't seen what the actual need is. You were just what Kate said, trying to make yourself feel better by going, I helped. I did something. And so I think, you know, what you're saying to us as mamas is like, look, why don't you sit before the Lord with your own grief and ask him, mm-hmm. help me understand what this person's going through so that I can actually do something that's really doing good for them, not just doing. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, and I could give myself since going through this, maybe a B plus on like, if I went to go help someone, you know, maybe I, I'd squeak by with a B, but when I turn around and have my own kids in their grief, like, um, and I'm not talking about grief, like, um, parents dying. I'm talking about like getting a bad grade or breaking a glass in our kitchen. And I thought, you know, something that to them is very important. I can just go into fix it mode so fast. Like, like, okay, here's what we're going to do to feel better. And it's like, I almost forget all of those things that matter so much to me. And I have been very like, just, you know, I've been very convicted of that recently that I so quickly rush in with a problem solving idea as opposed to going, I love you. And I'm sorry that that hurts. Um, And so it's funny that, you know, I can learn this in such a deep way. And yet, you know, I don't know. I'm getting like a C on that. And I, I'm so glad that I can continually like quickly go to my kids and be like, I am so sorry. Like that would have really hurt me. And there's no taking off muddy shoes in that scenario. And so I, I'm really glad you bring that up, but I thought really, we have so many small disappointments in life and we have so many things that maybe aren't as heavy to me that someone in front of me, they're saying this is heavy to them and to make space for that. It might be like two minutes, you know, but just stop brushing in with the, I, to make myself comfortable or to move it out of the way. And I just, I'm still learning that so hardcore. (laughs) For sure. With our kids. And then I think too, with like sometimes with other moms or something, I mean, you know, I know this is terrible, but I think if I was really honest, like I I might hear another mom complaining about, you know, having a one-year-old and being so tired and you want to be like, excuse me. You know, absolutely judgmental. And then you forget, like, wait a minute. No, what they're going through is very real. And it's that idea of taking your shoes off, getting back in what maybe were your shoes 10 years ago or getting in their shoes and remembering what that was like, because it is a lot. It's still a lot. I think, go ahead. Oh, I just think too, that, um, often we think that everybody has the same, we're we're on the same playing field. So if I was there with that one-year-old and that husband, I would do such and such, or this would be this way. And we totally, when we do that, we don't have the empathy of like, we might have different tool sets, different tribes, different like backgrounds and parenting. I mean, like there's so many pieces of us that, you know, on layers that your pain and my pain actually can't be um, we can't compare it. Yeah. Like suffering can't be compared. Mm-hmm. And so, so often I feel like, oh, well, I know, you know, I know. And I, I am just, yeah, I'm, I'm working on that because I thought really, I don't 
Like just because I went through something similar does not mean I know. And it does not mean my pain was worse than your pain or that, you know, my three-year-old's pain is not as bad as my adult pain. Um, And so I think that has really been humbling me to that idea of empathy, trumping judgment, because you're like, I just, I can't know you. You're too, you're too deep of a person to trace out. That's good. Well, for any of our moms that are listening that have experienced some sort of grief, and I love how you've kind of like broadened that for us and said, look, my grief is important, but your grief is important too. And it may not be as big as what I went through, but it's still something that's a big deal to you. What would you say to them about just a couple things that you would say, these were super helpful to me when I was going through it that I think would be an encouragement to you? I think the first thing I would say is to look for goodness. And I don't know, we talk about thankfulness and I guess I had had a really small view of thankfulness. Like we hear about gratitude, but it actually rewires the brain. You cannot feel anxious and thankful at the same time. You guys know this, you're nodding. So I'm like, I had learned that. And I'm like, that is, that is like a game changer. It is game changer. Um, It is. And so, but you know, some days there's nothing that just wells up in you to be thankful for. Like to be real, like some of these days are so hard and you're like, I don't know how I'm getting to bedtime, let alone, you know, this next hour or this next minute. And, um, especially if you have a kid suffering, I'm sure like there is nothing that has ripped me more inside is watching someone suffer in front of you that you, you love with all of yourself. And so I think what I did that I would encourage is to find three good things, Mm before your head hits the pillow at night. And the truth is sometimes it's too painful. Like it sounds easy when things are well and good, but when you're looking, you know, um, when you're looking down the barrel at some of those really deep things in your life or those unknowns or those, you, you don't know. And you look around and you're like, you have to find it. You have to get a shovel out and go find something good. And it could be so small. It could be like the hot cup of coffee It could be your little girl's ringlets. I mean, it could be so small, but you're going to look for three. And if you can't look for three, look for one. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, like, if you make that medicine, if you make that medicine, like you will train your mind to find good. And my oldest daughter and I joke that we can't really have a bad day. Like it, it actually sucks. It's like totally a buzzkill because you're like, I am having the worst day. And then you're like, if you've trained yourself to look for goodness, or you're still doing that by like a habit you're creating, it's so you're like, and then that happened, you know, like (laughs) then that friend called or they brought me coffee or someone did this, you know, thing or like whatever. And it's so funny because you're like, you really can't. And it buoys you. It buoys you to go, you know, like these bad moments don't make a bad life. And I think that has saved me. And I think the other thing is just, you know, trust your instinct as a mom, um, and your prayer life. Cause I think we can look around and go, Oh, like, I'm not like that person. And God doesn't tap me on the shoulder or we could do these things, but I can think of moms. I respect and even my own mom. And I think the best things they ever did for me was because they knew it inside themselves and they were praying to a God who knew it. And in the beginning, we were trying to get kids in therapy. We were trying to, um, make a path. And it was so interesting because I, I later found out that I did all the right things. And that is not because I knew what to do. 
Um, it was because of prayer and really like going with like, I'm the mom, I have the boots on the ground and this is what we're doing. And I have never had that fail me, even if I've had to adjust it. And so I would say those two things, like really cling to those things. And then just don't be afraid to be happy. Um, and don't be afraid to be sad, like allow yourself all that space and just speak it to people, make it your, make it your life. Don't feel like you have to get caged in to be one way or another. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for that. I know that's going to be a blessing to so many moms and we want, um, our moms to hear your whole story. It's so beautiful. And I know why it's titled, we wrote your name in color. Um, but I want them to go and find out, um, and you even have a little trailer and, um, but that's a beautiful part of the whole story. So we're going to put that in the show notes. We're going to post the book on our social, um, cause we want our moms to be able to connect with your beautiful story that God has written. It's really neat to see what he has done. I, I love the part about the, the, the timing of the house being built and your little, your littlest being the glue and just, just being able to see beauty in the brokenness. I think that just gives so much hope to us as we grieve in the various ways that we grieve. So oh, thank, thank you, you so much for being with us. Tell us how our moms can connect with you. Yeah, I think the best way is just to find me on jessiewilden.com, which Jesse is spelled with a Y-E, as you'll see in the show notes. Um, but just connect with me there. I love Instagram um, and send me a message. I'd love to hear your thoughts and encourage you as a mom and and just be know I'm rooting for you. That's awesome. Well, and can I just say, too, from um, someone that loves moms and loves stories and loves writing, you have put in the hard work. Um you know, with your retreats and meeting with Bob Goff and getting this coaching. So I just want you to know from one writer to another, I'm so happy for you that God has brought about this beautiful opportunity for your story to get out there and for you to be able to be so proud of this moment. God had to do something in your life that we would not have ever wished for, but he has brought about such beauty from it. So just want you to know how excited we are for this book to come out. We are praying that it just blows the top off the book lists and that it's just the best thing ever because it's going to help people so much. So thank you for sharing your story. Oh, I'm so honored to be here with you. Thank Jessie, you so much for those the, words. What's the release date again on the book? October 19th. Okay. Okay. We'll be sharing about that with our moms too. Okay. Thank you so much for this conversation. Um, and thanks for this time with us. We really appreciate it. It's been my honor. Thank you. One easy way you can help another mama is by sharing this podcast with her. If you have laughed, been encouraged, and gotten help here, would you take a moment to share this podcast on your socials? Text the link to a friend and leave a rating and review. Thanks for your help in getting the word out to mamas about this space we've created just for them.